Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Twitter is a war zone. It's like, okay, you're in the arena. Let's go. Black Twitter on alert. How the culture-shaping platform is bracing for an Elon Musk takeover. This is a great concern to Black Americans. That's actually that's actually not true. That's absolutely that's the truth. Plus, the racial reckoning. Why Black women are now more empowered to date outside the race. We've seen throughout history how white men would fetishize Black women. Is it a power play or simply the power of love? I'm sorry, because it feels like we have to constantly tell Black women to sell ourselves a little bit shorter so that we can, like, find a mate. And we're going gaga for the Met Gala. I break down the best of Blackness on the carpet. We're giving glam, gold glam. Gold glam, gold glam. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Naima Abdullahi. We begin with the Elon Musk Twitter takeover. The $44 billion purchase for the social media platform has the culture wondering what cost, if any, will there be to black Twitter? That's tonight's top story. Twitter is a war zone. If somebody's going to jump in the war zone, it's like, okay, you're in the arena. Let's go. So Musk's own statements pre his effort to acquire Twitter raised concerns with us. Well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech. One of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm. Secondly, to take it private, which means he'll own it 100%. There'll be no, if you will, collaboration or accountability in how policies are set. He will do as he wishes whenever he wishes, on whatever terms he wishes. You know, I think people have to remember, Twitter was a platform that Donald Trump abused, many others abused, and Twitter finally, finally developed the systems, the policies, and the courage to say that our platform will not be systemically abused and and misused uh, by those that promote hate, those that promote division. I think it's very concerning. As a matter of fact, I think it's terrifying. I see it as an attack, really. And Twitter has declared itself basically the god of information and misinformation. You know, I would hope that on one hand, the Twitter shareholders would block the sale. On the other hand, that Elon Musk would make a commitment to maintain content moderation policies. and Antifa and BOM, we respect the law. We were good people. The government did this to us. We were normal, good, law-abiding citizens, and you guys did this to us. We want our country back. We are protesting for our freedom right now. That's the difference. There's an abuse of the term freedom of speech. Freedom of speech does not sanction race speech, hate speech, stoking of violence. That is not freedom of speech. This is a great concern to black Americans great concern to the National Urban League, and I think great concerns to the civil rights and social justice community in the United States.
To help us break down what this purchase means for Black Twitter, we have Isaac Hayes III, the founder and CEO of Fanbase, Dr. Andre Brock, Associate Professor of Black Digital Studies, Ashley Ray Thomas, freelance journalist and activist, Republican congressional candidate Bill Brepe. Also joining us, we have our very own Kennedy Rue. Thank you all for joining us today. Let's get right into it. Uh, Elon Musk says that he wants to improve and bring improvements to Twitter. How can he improve Twitter when his own company, Tesla, has so many ongoing racial discrimination cases that have not been resolved yet? Well, I'm, I'm not aware of uh, any of the racial discrimination cases that are going on at Tesla, and I think that's something that Elon Musk needs to address if that's what's going on. In terms of the acquisition of Twitter, I think that it's a good thing, honestly, um, because Twitter has become an echo chamber of one-sided opinions where many people have been restricted in their speech. I myself have been restricted numerous times, um, where I, and I know many black conservatives as well that have a very difficult time with getting their message out um, on Twitter. But at the end of the day, it's still very early to uh, determine what direction it's going to take. And Billy, just to make you aware, these racial discrimination cases have been going on for several years, filed by minority employees who really kind of shared what kind of treatment they've received within the Tesla company. Do you also want to tell us about that company culture of Tesla and what this means for Twitter when he has that history, Dr. Brock? So Tesla has... Uh, repeatedly have problems with violations about racial bias in the workplace, but they've also had difficulties with workplace safety. In any case, uh, Elon Musk is not actually qualified to run Twitter, in part for the same reasons that uh, Jack Dorsey was considered not to be qualified. He's running too many companies at once. Moreover, uh, Elon doesn't really ha seem to have a grasp of what actual free speech means with regards to how Twitter handles its policies and moderation strategies. The actual fact is research has shown that conservatives have been shown to have a louder voice on Twitter than in other spaces, in part because they drive engagement, right? Uh, and while some conservatives may be getting shut down, Twitter's focus has been on the alt-right and the ways in which they threaten the lives of people who don't, don't agree with them. And so free speech is a really kind of contested construct only for people who feel that they should be able to say whatever they want to say without accountability. Right, and that's where Elon Musk kind of stands at this point. And the biggest, one of the biggest questions the culture is asking is, is this the beginning of the end of black Twitter? Isaac? The black community has definitely uplifted Twitter to a very popular platform. Um, I always tell people not to leave social media platforms, right? Leverage your audience in other places where you can remain um, to continue to drive them to spaces where you want to have different types of conversations. So I don't think it's the end of black Twitter. I mean, it just depends on how Elon Musk governs the platform now. What do you think about the state of black Twitter and how we're talking about it right now, Kennedy? I would agree. I would say that black Twitter has become a cultural hub to get real-time reactions on things that are happening in the world. And I don't feel as if um, Elon taking over the company is going to hinder that dialogue or that discourse in any way. Way. I feel like, especially for my generation, um, we are into instantaneous and instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And there's something about Twitter, um, about the fact that you can go on and see real-time posts. And real-time movements, right? Real-time movements, absolutely. And I think that that's um, incredibly intriguing for an audience like my generation. And how does the algorithm affect um, that voice, Ashley? Algorithms are tricky. It's not a person who is making the decision to to shadow ban certain content. It's it's like often based on like race and who's interacting with it. While I may not agree with what Billy is posting, I do agree that um, there are algorithms like targeting certain people who say certain things. Privatization of the company will actually have more of an effect on the algorithm 
than anything because now, you know, you're not beholden to advertisers. I say this all the time, if you're a very, very conservative organization and you don't want any Black Lives Matter or any black tweets running next to what you paid for your spend, then of course they're going to suppress your content. Twitter is the first space and pretty much uh, since the, the dawn of broadcast media where black folk can actually speak to one another and be spoken back to both on an individual and a collective level. And that can't, that has yet to be replicated. I've been talking to journalists that are very white and wouldn't pay any attention to me any other time, right? But I also keep up with physicists and the like. And that particular openness of Twitter is a, is a value that we underappreciate. So the black collective will do as the black collective has always done. It finds its space in the corners of white infrastructure, whether we're on the stoop, whether we're in the barbershop, Wherever we manage to build our own spaces for care and self-repair, wherever we need to go and do go. Dr. Brock, thank you for that perspective. And to all of our guests today, thank you for weighing in on the Musk effect on Black Twitter. We appreciate your time. That is Burna Boy making history at Madison Square Garden, a big moment for the Afrobeat star who became the first African artist to sell out a show at the iconic venue. Burna's journey to success kicks off our global headlines as we explore being black all over the world. First up, we turn our attention to Russia and the Free Britney Griner movement. We're getting a ton of support from uh, the government, from specialists. We know she's safe. Um, but we want to get her home. And that may soon be a reality. The United States government now considers the WNBA star to be wrongfully detained, according to CNN. Sources familiar with the case told the Sports Network that the U.S. will seek negotiations for her return instead of waiting for the process to play out. The two-time Olympic gold medalist and seven-time WNBA All-Star was arrested in February after cannabis oil cartridges were found in her carry-on luggage in Moscow. Griner faces a drug smuggler. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Being charged that carries a penalty of up to 10 years in prison. Next up, Africa's ongoing fight against malaria now has a solution. The World Health Organization has authorized a groundbreaking malaria vaccine. Across the continent, more than a million children have already received at least one dose of the vaccine during a pilot program. On average, the disease kills half a million people every year, including 260,000 children. And 94% of these cases occur in Africa. And statewide, it is Roe versus Wade and the possible overturning of the landmark case. A draft leak suggests the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade, which poses a larger question about the impact a reversal will have on individual states, more specifically with black women. And this week marks the celebration of Eid al-Fitr, which signifies the end of the fasting month of Ramadan for the more than 1.8 billion Muslims around the world who will take part in the holiday, which is a three-day long celebration. Eid Mubarak from the Revolt family will be right back. People are working eight hours a day and 40 hours a week to some a third job. Women can't afford to take care of their children, feed their children breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My main job is to provide a roof over your head, food on the table, and money in your pocket. 
Welcome back. That was former New York gubernatorial candidate Jimmy McMillan sounding off about the soaring rent prices back in 2010. That clip still hits close to home as many are struggling with the housing costs. Recently, the Biden administration launched an executive order to help underserved communities with the goal of making home ownership more accessible and to close the racial wealth gap, specifically for black Americans. Every agency will be involved in this work because advancing equity has to be everyone's job. Housing is a right in America, and home ownership is an essential tool to wealth creation and to be passed down to generations. The Biden-Harris administration is zeroing in on the racial wealth gap in housing. You couldn't imagine a nicer place to live. When the typical black family has just one-eighth the wealth of the typical white family, that corrodes our broader economy. The executive order lists a number of action plans committed to better policies impacting disadvantaged communities. My life right now is in two people's hands. It's in the government hands, it's in my landlord's hands. It's been more than 50 years since the passing of the Fair Housing Act, but not much has changed. This is all black people. Do you know that? It's what's been going on, you know, for generations, decades. It's not just 2021, it's 2020, 2019, 2018. It's just now coming to light more because our voices are getting stronger in this country. The real estate agent was desperate, sort of begging my father, you don't want to move here, your people are not here. He was so afraid that one black family would move in and somehow it would destroy his business and drive down real estate rates. Racial injustice in housing has deeply impacted black Americans throughout history. Took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. You live in this apartment, right? Uh-huh. And you got an apartment in this building, too? Yes, that's right. Well, how come we overcame and nobody told me? For the African-American community, oh, who's historically have been displaced from home ownership. It's even more prevalent in urban communities. You can talk about almost any urban community, any town in the USA, and it's affecting African-Americans all in the same way, whether it's LA, whether it's Miami, whether it's Chicago, New York, Atlanta. Give me my check. Put some respect on my check. Or pay me in equity. Pay me in equity. Watch me reverse out of dicks. Let's look at the term equity, according to the White House. On President Biden's very first day in office, he signed a historic executive order making equity and racial justice the business of the entire federal government. That had never been done before. While history will reveal the results of President Biden's plan, the black community wants to know a solution for the longtime gap. They say there's so many different programs, but that's not true. It's very difficult for us to get loans. It's very difficult for us to get cribs. And a lot of times people are selling the cribs don't want to sell us the homes. I mean, they can they don't have they don't have to. And a lot of times they won't. Five years ago, when I started investing, the medium home price in Atlanta was 225. Your income only raises three to five percent a year. A person making fifty thousand dollars five years ago, if they never changed their job, is still only making maybe seventy thousand dollars today. And seventy thousand dollars would not qualify you to buy the average medium income home in Atlanta today. We have to have a mind shift and a different mindset. Real estate is not a game. Real estate is a serious business. It's not a side hustle. It's not quick money. It's none of that. 
join me for a solution on the racial wealth gap in home ownership are Whitley Yates, Director of Diversity and Engagement for the Indiana GOP, author Julian Gordon, better known as Mr. Multifamily, and financial expert Ash Cass joining us at RBN Studios. Thank you all for joining us today. Let's get right to it. With inflation tightening its grip and living expenses going through the roof, why is it such a challenge to find a safe and affordable home? As inflation and the housing prices go up, inflation is also occurring with the interest rates. And so it's very rare to have an environment with housing prices and inflation rates going up. And that makes it very difficult for anybody to buy, especially people of African descent in this country. Biden has ordered the Fair Equity Bill. Let me just explain it a little bit further. Um, it addresses systemic barriers in the nation's policies and programs that held underserved black communities um, back for generations. How does the White House's mission for equity and racial justice impact uh, black people right now. Whitley? It actually has absolutely no impact and no tangibles. So the truth is, this is a pervasive issue that has happened under a lot of Democratic leadership leading back to the New Deal. The black community was systemically left out of programs that would help us to gain home ownership. And when I say black, I'm specifically talking about American freedmen, black American non-immigrant emancipated slaves. So we were systemically left out through policies. And so attempting to now go back and say, we're going to fix that by changing the policies doesn't provide any restitution to the people that dealt with redlining or to the people that had valuation issues or to the targeted people um, who weren't able to get access to capital. Now, when we look at home incentives that are out there that make attempts to bridge that gap, you know, for the critics on the other side who may say, you know what, I'm looking at this as a handout and not a hand up, what do we say to that? Yeah, 100%. I think number one, um, even with the, the subsidies or the things that are given, um, there has to be an education um, around how to properly use those subsidies, right? And how to use, you know, real estate in order to build wealth. So, you know, we're always being pushed uh, to focus on buying single family homes. And, you know, Julian could talk to this, you know, very eloquently as Mr. Multifamily, is that we need to be educated on understanding the difference between what's an actual asset and what's a liability, right? And so if we're being pushed to buy single family homes, which most of hedge funds are actually buying those up anyway. Mm -hmm. And so with the new legislation, it's, you know, they, they're, they're incentivizing landlords. That's not, that's not going to help close the wealth gap. What needs to happen is that there needs to be, you know, you know uh, more knowledge around why if you can have a multifamily home, live in one of those homes and allow the other property to pay you, then that way you start building equity and you, uh, you know, have mortgage freedom, but it's a mindset first, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, all of the subsidies that are being given, yes, if that's what is available, let's take those, but not take those with a poverty consciousness and, you know, allow that th those, uh, you know, subsidies to go back into the hands of landlords or, you know, people who are trying to get rid of their homes and now they're giving us the scraps. Mm -hmm. Let's really properly educate ourselves on the, which markets uh, are, are thriving and, mm -hmm. you know, how to really properly hold on to, to homes as well because we see this all the time. If, you know, those who do have wealth, mm -hmm. 
homes get passed down and then because of taxes, because of not understanding, uh, you know, how, you know, the home ownership works, they either lose the home and then, and, and, you know, or, you know, sell the home. And so there, there needs to be an education that comes along uh, with this as well. Mm. And Julian, follow up with that. How do we disrupt the wealth gap in real estate? Yeah, so the average um, net worth of a white family is $184,000. The average net worth of a black family is about $24,000. And mm. so that $160,000 wealth gap, 60% of it is attributed to actual home ownership. Because if you look at American wealth, 60% of it is tied up in the equity of their home. And so the people on the other side who are saying that this is a handout, if they trace back their own history, if they knew their own history, mm. they would be able to see that their great-great-grandfather got a house in a community for $10,000 that is now worth $200,000 today. And so subsidies have... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Always been here in the United States. It's just that the subsidies have not been given to people of African descent and have only been set aside for women and for uh, people of Caucasian descent. The way in which we go about doing this will be pivotal in our progress. And I say that because under the, the Biden equity plan now, HUD has released their recommendations and their recommendations are to provide small dollar mortgage loans. Now we all know that home prices are at an all time high. So what is a small dollar mortgage loan going to get for me? More importantly, we're grouped in this category now of minorities, which includes so many other groups. And the delineation between a minority uh, immigrant black African here versus a descendant of chattel slavery needs to be addressed. And what I think would be great would be a Freedman Home Ownership Initiative that specifically targets people who were enslaved who are no longer enslaved. I think Lincoln had it right when he gave us the Freedmen's Bank, when he promised us land. And unfortunately, he died before that was able to come to fruition and they didn't hold that accountable. But we need to go along those paths that the Republicans set previously in order for us to move forward. Julian Whitley and Ash Cash, thank you all for your perspective, your insight, as we really navigate through how the federal government is addressing the systemic barriers that the nation has been facing when it comes to those who have been disproportionately impacted in the ownership process. Thank you so much. Up next, black women crossing racial lines to find love. So why is there such a spike? We get to the bottom of it all when we return. My husband does happen to be white. He is a white man. I say it like that because it sounds exotic. <laughs> He's from a long line of mesquite Texas whites. Whites. The finest whites in all the world. <laughs> yeah, he happens to be white. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter that much. The reality of dating outside the race told through the eyes of comedian Jasmine Ellis. Welcome back. The mosaic of those who dated or married outside the culture has gained more traction, especially in the age of social media. From Hollywood to smaller hometown communities, we explore why finding romance outside the culture is such a polarizing topic among black women. 
and here with us today is educator Dr. Oya Ma'at, socialist Dr. Cheryl Judice, natural health and beauty influencer Sky Landish, media personality Shamika Sanders, and our very own Kennedy Rue. Thank you all for joining us today. So let's kick it off. We've seen an uptick of black women celebrating their white partners on social media and also in Hollywood. Do you believe mainstream media is encouraging black women to date outside of their race? I absolutely do believe that the uh, media is encouraging uh, interracial uh, relationships. We have to understand what the media is and, and, and why it was created, okay? And so, you know, the media was created to control people. That's what it's about. It's about controlling people. And so whenever you see a lot of propaganda, okay, when you see propaganda pushing something, you have to ask yourself why. I study this topic extensively. And no, I don't believe that the media is per se pushing interracial relationships. There is an uptick in interracial relationships, particularly insofar as black women dating and marrying outside of the race. And the main reason for this is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with black men. There are simply not enough of them. So if you are a black woman whose goal is to get married and to have a family, to put all your eggs in the African-American man basket is to risk being single. When I first started doing this research more than 20 years ago, by almost a four to one ratio, you found more black men married to white women than the reverse pattern. Within the last, say, five to seven years, that ratio has shrunk to about two and a half to one, which means that more black women have begun to marry outside of the race. But primarily the reason is because of the numbers. So this is not a diss on black men in any way. It's just saying, this is where we are. And if these are your goals, please don't limit your search for love to one ethnic group. And unfortunately, we are the only group of women in the entire country that has to think this way. I do disagree with her statement. When we think of the slave trade, Typically, we think of the physicality of slavery, but rarely do we speak about the loss of culture. And culture gives one their identity. It gives identity, purpose, and direction. So you do have Black people in America who have now, because of media, because of miseducation, because of internalized racism, value whiteness. So we cannot say that we just see an increase in interracial marriages or interracial dating solely because of the numbers. There has never been a time in American history when black women's beauty was ranked number one. So that accounts some way, in some ways, for why you find many men worrying outside of the race. Because if this is all they see, this is what they value. But I have to agree with Dr. Mayotte. We live in a society where everything white has been prized. And it does have its ramifications in the ways that she is suggesting. But I also would like to add that we have also created our own culture. Because if we're running out of men, I don't want to see black women running to the Caribbean or to Africa to find spouses. Because in many of those relationships, please do not confuse shared skin tone for shared culture. I do think sometimes it's just as simple as you 
start to just choose love and you open up your heart and you just like, I'm not going to say I have a type. And my husband just happened to be the person that I fell in love with. And I married. It had nothing to do with particularly choosing one or the other. Did I notice he was white? Of course I did. I chose love and I chose what was best for me. And I think people often forget that when they judge other people for their relationships. My mom is black and my dad is white. I consider myself black my whole life until social media came into play. And I'm like, I'm a black woman. And they're like, no, you're not until I married a white man. And then it's, I'm um, the enemy. You know what I'm saying? Or well, I'm always walking through the world as a black person first then my womanhood comes. So I want my partner to understand my full blackness. So I think for me, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with interracial relationships. I think we need to get out of that narrative. I do think that for a black woman who goes outside her race, I think it's more prevalent for her that she is looking for other characteristics. I do know some black women who are just like, black men haven't shown up for me in the way that I need them to. You know, not everyone's experience is the same. I'm lucky that I have a black man who shows up for me, but that's not everyone's experience. So they're venturing outside of the race. Dr. Judice, are black families at the risk of being extinct when we look at the uptick and when we look at the trend? No, because there's once there's somebody that's black in the family. This is a black family. No, this is the America that sales said one drop and you're black. So again, I don't feel that that is that has a negative impact at all because somebody is black, which means you're gonna have black culture there. Yeah, I, I did that that one drop rule stuff that came out. I mean, that was a bunch of, of racial ma malarkey. So just because one of your parents are black, you can't say, "Well, I'm, I'm black," because no, because now you're discounting a whole nother side, right, of genetics, of history, of ancestry. So uh -huh. To correct it, because I don't think I clarified. My mom isn't African-American. She's from Jamaica. She was born in Jamaica. My father oh, okay. was born in Germany. And, and, okay. and they both no came problem. and met each other. I just wanted to clarify. Beautiful, Be beautiful. Yeah. But you are what we would consider biracial. I would One, not consider you a black woman. And I know I'm biracial. I always still know that I'm black. Like at the end of the day, I hear what you're saying and, and I'm biracial, but I was not raised um, to have the biracial experience. I was raised by a single mother in the Bronx and she was a black woman. I don't really have to prove my blackness to people anymore. And I think that's where I've gotten to with my journey is that I'm not here to prove to you because we don't all grow up together and, and we're only associated by things like this or by social media. Absolutely. And I do have a problem with um, interracial uh, relationships. I, I I mean, I do. And, and, and my issue with interracial relationships is that it's not healthy for, for nation building. Um, I believe that Black people in America should function as a nation within a nation. Interracial marriages is not going to contribute to sovereignty and liberation for Black people in this country. I just want to ask Dr. Mayotte, so what do you say to the Black woman that doesn't find a black man. Is she just not to ever get married and have children because she can't have a black family? What do you say? I don't know, but I don't think that just, I don't think that the answer is opting out from marrying and dating one another. If you're saying that it's a numbers issue, right? Yes. I know that typically people think of monogamy and that's what a lot of women want, but polygamy is also an option. And I do know some people who are polygamous and it works out well. I'm sorry, that just feels so strange to say because it feels like we have to constantly tell black women to sell ourselves a little bit shorter so that we- Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? 
oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. You can like find a mate. One, maybe the answer is that you just don't get married. Fine. But then the answer too, like when I look at Sky, I'm never going to look at Sky on the street and be like, you're not a black woman. Like she's no one is going to look at Sky walking through the store and be like, you know, she's not black. I am all about Black family, but I cannot sit here and denounce interracial relationships and then be like, oh, Black women, how about y'all just share a man? How about everyone just share a piece of man just so that they could be with a Black man? Listen, I'm going to always be with my Black people, my Black men, and I therefore think that the race is never going to die because there always will be people who want to be with their people, as you have mentioned, Doctor. My question is, you know, with the topic of fetishizing uh, Black women, that always seems to come up when we talk about interracial love. What are your thoughts on that? In all the couples I have interviewed where the wife is Black and the husband is white, I have only come across one couple where I recognized that there was some fetishism going on in the relationship. The great majority of these couples, nothing like that existed at all. We have a history in this country, obviously, of enslavement, and what spawned from that were um, instances of where black women were exploited and our sexuality was curated under this white lens to be fetishized for that for those reasons. But I don't believe that that's the majority of situations of interracial coupleships. We've seen throughout history how white men would fetishize, fetishize uh, black black women, and so now that we're out of uh, you know chattel slavery and Jim Crow and all of that here, those fetishes didn't go anywhere. You know, when we talk about interracial love, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, um, Vice President Harris, Serena Williams, Tamara Mari, Eve, you know, what's the social media response that we oftentimes see? I really think that um, the social media response is very much so mixed, but I've noticed even on my TikTok, my algorithm has more so been curated to show me more interracial relationships as opposed to just black coupleships and black partnerships. But even you think about in terms of TV and the shows that do so well and the movies that do so well, I mean, you think about even Shondaland and what she's curated in terms of Bridgerton and how interracial relationships have played out that way, or even even in Grey's Anatomy or Scandal, you see black women coupling outside of our race. And I think it's to encourage us to open it up in terms of who we allow in our proximity. To all of our panelists, thank you for this dynamic conversation for your insight. Up next, from high fashion to the latest in hip hop, Kennedy has the wrap up in the entertainment remix when we come back. Welcome back. Time to get up to date with the latest in entertainment. Kennedy, what you got for us? Well, Naima LMA is dropping new music, but the big buzz is all about the culture clashes at Fashion's Biggest Night, which tops the entertainment remix. 
Are you getting this entire magnificence? Ah! I love it so much. Alicia Keys and glittering Ralph Lauren set the tone for the Met Gala, keeping it classy with a kiss for Swiss Beats, then it was off and poppin'. We said gilded glamour from the future. Following Alicia's designer choice, Janelle Monet was covered in head-to-toe sparkle. Like I feel like I am in a movie and I want to see this character. We're giving glam, cold glam. Meg the Stallion and Best Supporting Actress Oscar winner Ariana DeBose added their golden touch. So did Cardi B in keeping with the Gilded Age theme. But Questlove, on the other hand, had a different take. I wanted to represent, um, you know, for African Americans in this country. Totally. The, the, the Gilded period's a little bit different for our story, so I wanted to highlight black women who have sacrificed for the country, so I'm, I'm rocking their uh, quilt right now. Questlove throwing a nod to the Alabama-based women of G's, Ben Quilters, and their African-American place in history. Lala Anthony also stunned, adorned in all burgundy from black designer Laquan Smith. blew up the red carpet, hitting her flute in black and gold, Tom Brown. The wonderful thing about archive pieces put together is that we're sustainability and we're reusing clothes and we're showing that we can create things new out of the old. The best advice I ever received was to mind my business, and I think life gave me that. And speaking of fashion, Lil Baby is stepping up his game, gracing the pages of ID Magazine. The Atlanta-based rapper weighs in on his fast rise in the hip-hop game, his mentor Young Thug, and offers his advice to upcoming rappers. Don't give up. All it takes is one song to get you on the door. But when you get that one song, you got to keep it coming. Seeing celebrities in the press who are in their 40s or 50s saying that they got pregnant, I didn't want to just say that and not say the struggles I went through. Garcelle Bouvet getting candid and sharing her pregnancy journey. The mom of two told us about her struggles while promoting her new book, Love Me As I Am. We tried for five years off and on. Um, I had fibroid issues and then I ended up having a bowel obstruction because I had surgery to remove the fibroids because I was having some miscarriages. And it's really about being authentic and hopefully another woman can hear the story and say, I'm not alone or if she went through it, I can do it too. Garcelle is also exploring a new chapter in life as her daytime gig at The Real has come to an end. The show will end after this season. I'm going to miss it. It's one of my favorite platforms to be on. And uh, I think we also have to give the women the kudos for eight seasons of this amazing show. Following a record-breaking debut, Ella Mae drops her highly anticipated sophomore album, Heart on My Sleeve, which she calls deeply personal. And you know, I love to write about love and relationships. That's my favorite thing to talk about. So I think just really being able to like dig deeper and give like a little bit more of myself. I wanted to, I wanted my fans to feel a little bit more connected to, to me as the person um, on this album. And Ella Mae is starting out strong, hitting the stage in ATL one day after her album drop. Kennedy, thank you for that report. And up next, our revolutionary of the week. 
Welcome back. Now, before we go, we want to shine a light on a 21-year-old youth leader who's on a mission to save our young black men. Albany, Georgia's King Randall is getting recognized for being a disruptor in education. That's why he's our Revolutionary of the Week. I am the master of my faith. I am the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. I am the captain of my soul. King Randall's command. His mission is to advance his community and to make men out of boys through his X for Boys school. The us and let us make man entails and implies to me that I should be assisting God with making men. And this is where the X for Boys comes into play. It is a school that Randall founded at the age of 19, an age where he saw a void after a series of life experiences that inspired him to pay it forward for black Americans. And I took uh, 20 young men to the African American History Museum to see the children asking the questions that they were asking, to see uh, just them not wanting to be in their conditions. Uh, that's where I figured out that I was supposed to be working with the children and trying to train our replacements. I decided to start a summer camp. Um, I had 20 boys uh, with me every day. Uh, from eight to five. Well, I'm trying to teach y'all how to read. It ain't because I'm trying to be annoying or it's because I'm trying to, to hurt y'all or make y'all be bored. It's crap y'all need to know. Y'all go out here in the world trying to get jobs and all that crap and you can't read and ain't enough y'all compared to do but go jail. I bought 40 acres of land to be able to teach the boys how to, you know, fend for themselves and, you know, uh, live off the land and grow their own food and things like that. Then I ended up having to buy three small buildings, uh, with one of which I'm in now on the more impoverished side of town. Um, to start our school. They wouldn't let us get one building, so God said, I'm gonna give y'all two times the size of that building. Am I right? Yeah! yeah! 41,000 square feet. His work doesn't stop there. Inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Randall is just coming off of his I Am A Man March, a two-day event held in Albany, Georgia, which pushes the culture to focus on family, community, and responsibility. Marches for unity. We're not asking for anything. I'm simply bringing men here to actually go and get things for ourselves so we don't have to ask anybody for anything. I know um, Dr. King um, wasn't able to help with that march because he was killed. I started that march and just giving a call to action to a lot of men uh, for us to go and take back our communities as black men, you know, go in and, and rebuild our families, go in, you know, help our communities and, and do something. According to the U.S. Department of Education, across the U.S., black students are lacking proficiency in math and reading skills. However, Randall School is breaking barriers in the U.S. education gap, achieving an 86% increase in reading comprehension rates and more. I was going to open them a school um, because it was just ridiculous to me how these children are passed through school and they can't read and write. Just under 20% of the kids in general are graduating proficient in math. Then just under 40% of them are proficient in reading. I think that's an extremely huge issue that makes no sense to me. I, I started a book club. We read with them every week uh, for two days. All their grades started to improve, etc. Um, a lot of their behavior started to improve from being around our discipline. With the motto, let us make man, King Randall hopes to open an all-girls school in the future. Boys and girls need to be taught separately. That's why I also, you know, want to find a partner to help start a, a girls version of what we're doing as well, you know, so that way we can maybe almost pair them and, and help them court, etc. you know, and build families. Um, that's, that's something I think is extremely important because families is what's going to really fix our communities. People always ask me, well, King, how you so young and you can buy schools and do this and do that or whatever like that. I simply decided to study, put some t time into my craft. In the meantime, the completely people-funded, no-government-involved X for Boys School is scheduled to open in the fall of 2022 with very ambitious goals.
we're not saying we don't need government. If government want to help, cool. You know, if they don't, we still gonna make it happen regardless. Um, but I feel great. Um, it's been a, a great time, you know, just building. The work always going to speak for itself. Uh, so I'm extremely happy and extremely excited for our school to open in September. Congratulations and job well done, King Randall. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.